Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Praise the name of Jesus. All right, so uh, right away, we're just going to go to the third session very, very briefly. And uh, I just wanted to encourage you with this um, last session. We are in the 21st century, and a lot of things have changed. A lot of things have come to stay in this century. Um, but it's, it's my belief that we have to be even way more rugged, way more vocal, way more outspoken than we've ever been in years past. This is a generation that is loud. And we have all the tools to make everything we think or believe loud. We have the internet, we have media, we have ways to transmit information all over the world. And we need to be louder in our approach when it comes to standing for the truth. Do you realize that now with all that you know, with all that you're still yet to know, and just the very fact that you're God's ambassador, you're Christ's ambassador, you, you have a responsibility to be able to answer people's questions. You can no longer be indifferent about matters. You have to be bold and passionate and speak up. But the thing is, you can't make vital change. You can't make revolutionary change when you're in your comfort zone. Nothing, think about it, nothing of... of significant worth revolutional change has ever happened in comfort zones it's going to be done it's going to be done with some pain with some persecution with some backlash people will speak against you people will talk against you people will i mean you already see some of that on twitter already but beyond twitter i'm telling you if you're going to stand for the lord in this generation if you're going to stand for the truth in this generation expect persecution I'm going to talk briefly about finding your voice finding your voice and using it in the 21st century finding and using your voice in the 21st century if you're going to make any change in this generation you have to be loud about it apart from knowing your stuff you need to be bold it's not enough to know you need to speak you need to shake tables, shatter tables, destroy tables, disintegrate tables. Praise the Lord. Let everybody sit down on the floor. That's the point. You need to speak loudly. God expects it of you. And, and because you signed up to be God's lawyer, guess what? It's your birthright now. Persecution is your birthright now. You know, there's something that Paul says very, very commonly, and people have misinterpreted it. It's in Galatians 6 from verse 17. Paul says in Galatians 6, 17, it says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And people think this is some invisible mark that, you know, I bear the mark of Christ, not the mark of the beast. You know, people have said strange things. I bear the mark of Christ. I am signed, sealed by the Lord. Nothing can harm me. I'm, I'm, you know, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking literally about marks. He was persecuted. He had been beaten. He bears the marks of Christ on his body. He says, I bear in my body, not in my spirit. <laughs> in my body, the marks of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and he boasts about it. The truth is we tend to love our life too much. But the one who understands what discipleship to Jesus means, they will understand that it means to take up one's cross and follow Jesus. The cross indicates suffering, indicates persecution, indicates pain, even to the point of death. We are to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We love our lives too much. We love our comforts too much. That's the truth. The rich man who came to Jesus, what can I do to make eternal life? He says, you you have all these things good, but sell your property. And he turned back offended, turned back because he had so much wealth. He was comfortable. Many of us are like that. We are not willing to go the extra mile. We're not willing to even talk to our colleagues, our juniors, people around us that would probably pose no harm to us. But we are thinking, what would they think about us? What would they say about us? If the truth matters to you and the truth matters for their sake, you have to speak out. Persecution will happen, but you have to speak out. Do you realize that in the Bible, persecution for the believers is something that is recorded in every single book in the New Testament? Do you realize that? I'm going to show you very quickly. But it's something to expect. And I know that these things are grievous. Even when we see it on a massive scale, like massacres or terrorism, and we see um, Christians being malhandled and persecuted, it hurts. It's painful. But at the end of the day, it's expected. It's expected. I'll show you some of these scriptures very quickly, just to, just to reprogram your mind about what you're getting yourself into. But I'm telling you the rewards are beautiful here in this life and in the hereafter. Matthew 5 verse 10 to 12 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted of, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you insult, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Come on. Because great is your reward in heaven. I just told you that. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you will also persecute you. Do you see that? It's expected. If they, if they revile you, if they speak against you for my name's sake, blessed are you. You are blessed. But the persecution will happen. That's Matthew. Mark. Mark chapter 10 from verse 29 to 30. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that had left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. So he says people can lose this physical earthly brothers and houses and possessions, but they are coming into you know, if a hundredfold where they have brothers and sisters in the faith, you know, and land, but it comes with persecution, but also comes with eternal life. So Mark talks about it. Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 22. I'll read very quickly. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. You see it again. Blessed are you when the world hates you. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that he hated me first. Do you realize that? If the world hates you, and the world should hate you. If you are friends with the world, it means you are just not as distinct in your position from the world. If the world is comfortable with you, it means you are not speaking very, very, very truthfully about the truth. That's what it means. You cannot be friends with the world. If the world's agenda is some way, you can't be friends with the world. If it's 
exactly in contradiction with God's way. All right. Acts chapter 5 from verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Think about the reaction of these guys. These guys were beaten. Peter and John were flogged and they told them, don't speak in this name. That's persecution to silence them. But they went about rejoicing that they were counted worthy for shame and they were thanking God for it. Romans 8 from verse 35 says, who shall separate us? from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword. You know, it says we, we, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Glory to God. First Corinthians four eleven to verse 13. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. We reviled. We when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, to refuse of all the, the refuse of all things. So he's saying that at the end of the day, the world treats us like scum. The world treats us like less than. We are persecuted, but that's what you've been called into. Don't think that the world will always celebrate you and always speak the truth. If we are ruled by the God, if, if this world is ruled by the God of this world, Satan, you best believe his agenda would antagonize the gospel. His agenda will antagonize Christianity. His agenda will literally be antichrist. You're supposed to expect it. Don't always expect a pat on your shoulder for speaking the truth. But I'm telling you, because of your obedience, we can normalize the truth of God in a generation that says, live out, that says, live however you want. We can normalize the truth again. We can evoke out. We've seen the evidence, with, especially even with this month, Pride Month, you know, for those that are part of the LGBTQ community. They made a statement that has proven to the world that if you are consistent and you are vocal about a thing, it can come to, it can come to stay. Praise the name of Jesus. And so we need to be vocal about what we believe. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's um, perspective to this. He also says persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 9. Galatians 5 11. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He's saying, if I'm saying the things that you want me to say, then why am I being persecuted? It means I'm not saying what you want me to say. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying the truth. All right. And I can read more. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. Um, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. All right. We see it littered everywhere. Even in... um, Every scripture talks about it. Let me jump to 2 Timothy 3, 12. This one is very important. It says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. <laughs> he said, all that will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. I think it was also, I don't know if it was Peter or Timothy that also said it, that uh, why are you surprised You know, when persecutions come like it's some strange thing? So it should be expected. Hebrews 11, this one will touch you. Hebrews 11, verse 35. Verse 35 to 38. 
It says, women received back their dead. This is the, the, the scripture of faith, right? Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life, better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goat, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Yes, the world is not worthy of us, but still we are suffering so that we may heal the world and turn the world back to Jesus Christ. This is what we've been called to do. This is what we've been called to do. We've been called to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of a dying world. Look at this. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, these people suffered persecution, stoned, beheaded, killed. And you, the highest you've received is, 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 is a yab on Twitter. That's all you've received in your life. And you're saying this persecution is too much. You don't understand the weight of what you've been called. Many of you live in the tolerant side of the world. In southern Nigeria, at least considerably tolerant of Christianity. But you don't realize that, look, we're in a world that is anti-Christ. We're in a world that is against you. You have to speak up. Yes, yes, people might not like you as much. People might not follow you on social media as much. It's fine. But what people prefer is someone who knows what they believe and stands on it. Who knows what they believe for sure and stands on it. And is vocal about it. They are much more enviable than the one who is hiding in cowardice. James 1 verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Glory to God. So he says you will suffer many trials, but be of good cheer. Consider it pure joy because it works patience in you. James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres on that trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So you will go through persecution and test, but there's a crown of life, of eternal life that you receive because you stood till the end. You stood for your Savior. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for his name's sake. 1 Peter 3.14, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. This was an encouragement from Peter. Even if you suffer for what is right, you, you are blessed. Even the suffering alone that you are having in Nigeria is enough. Then you now want to, you now want to suffer for doing what is wrong. You know, you rather suffer for what is right. You rather suffer for what is right. It says, don't fear their threats. Do not be frightened. 1 Peter 4, 14. If you are insulted because of my name, because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This is beautiful. But guys, I'm saying this to encourage you to be more, to be more proactive. To be more proactive. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. Expect the, the persecution, expect the backlash, but continue. Be more vocal, be bold, be bold. Find your voice and use it in this century. Use it. Seek platforms to have these conversations. Talk to those people. Learn how to start conversations. Practice. Don't just read on, on anything and just give up. 
We need to normalize staying till it stays in. Do you understand what I just said? You need to normalize. When it comes to researching, maybe you want to research about Islam or another religion. Normalize staying with that material till it stays in. Don't give up. Study to show yourself approved. That's what we're talking about. The word study is labor. Praise the name of Jesus. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. Seek out, seek out platforms to stir up meaningful conversations. Be bold. Be vocal, be, be vocal about your faith. Grow in your knowledge like Paul did. When Paul got saved, he could only proclaim. He could only proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. But the Bible says as he grew in knowledge and in fellowship, he could prove that Jesus is the Messiah. He started something anyways. He proclaimed. Then he could prove. You have no excuse, dear believer. You have no excuse. This is something very personal and I'm, I'm super passionate about it and that's why I'm talking this way. But you need to be bold. You can't be indifferent. You can't let things slide anymore. It's not your nature. You see something on TV, on that TV show, they say something about God is blasphemous and you're fine. You just say, hey, you laugh at it. You've missed it. You've missed it. You've missed it. Don't let anyone deceive you. The world is against you. The world is against Christ. Do you stand for the truth in this generation, even when it's unpopular? Even when you look like the odd one out? Even when you look like the loser? Will you stand for the truth? You make the name of Jesus famous. Would you adhere it and herald it wherever you are? God has called you to defend his name in this world. To be ready to give an answer to whoever asks. To walk in wisdom to them who are without. Will you do that? Will you make that decision? Will this passion that has been deposited grow in your heart? Will you leave this conference and just go back to your old life and just go back, watch that Netflix show, go about your business, your nine to five, and make no impact in this world, no meaningful impact? Or are you, is your life going to count for eternity for someone else's behalf? Is your life going to count in the transformation of lives and souls? Will you take that decision? Will you take that step to make a change with your words, with your actions? With your boldness. I want us to just pray for a while. And I want you to just say this. Make a decision today. That Lord I will stand on your truth. I will stand on your truth with boldness. Lord where I lack boldness. Where I am weak. Like Samson cried out when he was weak. Lord give me strength. And strength came. Like Paul in his weakness, you said, my grace is sufficient for you. In the name of Jesus, give me the boldness to stand for your truth in this generation. Give me the boldness to stand for your truth in this generation. Help me not to be a coward. Those days are far behind me. I am no longer a coward, Lord. I stand in boldness. I don't fear their threats. I don't fear their, 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 their attacks. 
I am not frightened. In the name of Jesus, I will speak the truth without compromise. I won't compromise in any way. I won't compromise in any way. I won't bend the truth to accommodate and suit someone's feelings and emotions. I will stand by the truth no matter what. In the name of Jesus, especially in a dark and perverse generation, I will shine as a light. I will bring light in gray areas. I will bring clarity in confused situations. I will bring truth where there is falsehood. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Can you pray this now with all of your heart? That's it. That's it. Boldness is coming in. Boldness is coming in. Boldness is coming in. That's it. That's it. The Lord is touching someone right now. He's touching your heart for the work that is to come because you see this as important and he's going to strategically position you in a place of influence. That's it. Come on, pray with all that you've got. Pray right now. Brande Koshapa, Jete Tenesica, Zotombro Conte Venedensi, Bratananke and the Soku Protos, Zete Betenebetemete, Zototom Bratakasosh, Bretete Betenebete, Brotopososh. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for every heart, the doubting hearts, the ones that still have confusions lingering, the ones who still need answers. Lord, you are the God who helps people in their doubts. When Thomas had doubts, you helped him. When Thomas had fears and concerns and didn't believe that you were risen, you were there. You showed him the proof. Feel my hands. Feel my sides. You helped his unbelief. The man who literally asked you, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You helped his unbelief. In the case of John the Baptist, you helped his unbelief. You showed his disciples, look, I healed the sick. I cured those. I raised the dead. I healed the lame. Report back to him. Lord, I pray for these doubting hearts, these ones who haven't built their confirmation and their convictions yet in you. In the name of Jesus, bring clarity. You who knows how to help their doubts and unbeliefs, Lord, bring clarity for them. Bring conviction for them. Clear out the doubt, O God. Clear out the doubt, O God. Let them see you and only you in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for every source that has come to confuse your people and keep them captive to false philosophies, false ideas. These strongholds, we pull them down by the truth of the word. We bring into captivity all philosophies and ideologies and imaginations to obedience to the doctrine of Christ, to obedience to the, to the words of Christ, the truth in Christ, in Jesus' name. Oh Lord, we will fight this warfare, not a carnal battle with swords and spears, but with the truth of the gospel and the power of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. And Lord, with our apologetic ministries, we will go with signs. We will go with wonders. When they tell us, 
prove to me Jesus is alive, why we can give them historical accounts, why we can give them scientific proof or archaeological evidence who will say, let me show you the power of the risen Christ. In the name of Jesus, be healed. We will walk in power, oh God. In the name of Jesus, charismatically so. We will walk in power wherever we go, proving the power and the life of the resurrected Christ. Thank you, precious Jesus. Thank you, precious Jesus. We're raising a people here at Vivify who will be bold, who will speak for the truth, who will not cower in silence, but will stand up for the truth, would expect the truth to be received and, and held on to wherever we go. We don't fear their threats. We don't fear the persecution. We go in the boldness of our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're making a name for yourself with our lives. Thank you, Jesus. You're establishing your truth with our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. If you have been blessed at the top of your lungs, shout aloud. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A thousand times. For those of you who registered, for those of you who attended, who started from the beginning till now, I want to say a very big thank you um, to you. I, I believe you have been blessed. And, and of course, there is more to come. Um, but of course, we need your participation. We want you to continue to be a part of what we're doing here. Um, so thank you very much. Um, this, this is the conclusion of the conference this year. Um, we'd have loved to go 10 hours, 12 hours, but of course we understand the data constraints. Um, but yes, please, um, feel free to rewatch this once, once it's out and released, pay attention to all that was said, um, go further in your studying, research more, make sure you're doing this out of love, not just superiority or to prove that, you know, but because you genuinely care about people. All right. Praise the name of Jesus. Right away. We're going to, uh, we're going to just go into the Q and A. And um, I'm going to just answer the questions. I know that you've asked those questions. So I'm just going to check them out and, and answer them. Thank you, Jesus. Also, let me just, in the meantime, okay, I see the questions now. Let me just, in the meantime, uh, let me just, in the meantime, encourage uh, those of you who are joining us for the very first time. Maybe this is your first time being a part of a conference like this um, or anything involved with the ministry. I want to say a very big welcome to you. Can you just do me a favor and indicate in the chat section, let us know that this is your first time. We want to send you some great love. We want to just lavish it all over you and appreciate you for joining us. This is your first time being a part of a conference like this or any Vivify Ministries related program. We want to celebrate you. And we also want to go a step further. It's a secret, but I'll tell you. We want to be a part of your growth. We want to help you grow in the most powerful ways, yet the simplest ways possible, so that your heart is awakened to the finished work of Christ, so that you grow into maturity in Jesus Christ. I want to be your pastor. I want to be able to walk you on this journey. And if you would have me, then let's go. Let's do it right away. All right, so please just um, indicate in the chat section. You can also leave your email address so that we can contact you and reach out to you, okay? 
Thank you very much. Thank you. We love you and celebrate you already. I'll look out for your names as we go. All right, so uh, pa, pa, pa. let's go, let's go. All right, so I'm going to go from the, from the most voted questions. There are about 22 questions here. And I'm going to start from the most voted questions uh, that we have. Okay, so first question is, I'm going to answer it very quickly. The first question is, okay, my question is about the husband having a low sperm count. What if it's not possible for him to produce sperm? Can't a donor be used? So, I mean, at the end of the day, when it comes to donors and insemination, some families do that. Some, some families agree on it, that they want to have a child and they'll get a donor. While that in itself... I can't categorically say it's a sin, uh, especially if the donor is, I mean, if the donor is not having intercourse um, with the woman, you can't categorically say it's sexual intercourse. So if that's not the case, then um, that's not sexual intercourse. If it's just injected the way they do it into, uh, you know, the ovum and, and, and to cause fertilization to happen, then that's a different case. But then both parties need to be agreed that the donor should not be involved in the life of the child. The donor, uh, maybe you just have preferences for what the donor should be and, you know, and all of that. But it's, uh, personally, I don't see it as a, a problem, but there are just a lot of guidelines and factors that must come into place to make sure that it's not a terrible experience from start to finish, but that there are good guidelines and boundaries put in place to make sure that it's safe and it's also morally uh morally permissible so that's what i would say so this is on that that's if it's on the side of the of of the man right so i hope that helps there's so much to talk about all these things but that's uh i hope this suffices uh the next one is how do you reach out to children or even adults without cognitive abilities or severely autistic to explain the gospel how can you be sensitive with the parents Mm, this is a good question. This is from Isaac. The first question was from Dami. The second one is from Isaac. I think it's a good question. So there's a thing about when it comes to um, people who have comprehension issues, people who are severely autistic, who can't interact the right way, people with immense social anxiety or maybe disabled in one way or the other. Uh, it's a bit complicated to reach out to those people and present the gospel to them. And in many ways, there is, there is a level of accountability that they have, um, a level or a place where they have a level of accountability to know what is right from what is wrong, where their conscience kicks in. If they're in a place where they're aware of that, it means that they can be judged by their conscience. If not, it's left honestly to the mercy of God because if someone never has a, a the ability to decide or to even know what is being said it's a very different case altogether all right but i think i think there are some cases where through therapy like i've seen cases i know of one person personally where through intense therapy even though it was expensive but through intense therapy the person could decipher words could interact to a certain degree 
could communicate, could also receive com information, you know, and could make clear decisions in what they were doing. So many times it's through therapy. Many times also I've seen cases where people believed and prayed for a person's complete healing and God showed up miraculously. This person was healed and could, uh, it's, it, it happens just so you know. Um, I, I did have a cousin that even had to, first it was medical, had, had to go through some surgeries to adjust some things with his brain, but um, it, nothing really worked. And then we took time to pray about it and he, he's fine. His cognitive reasoning is well and strong. So those, those are the options, but the gospel should be preached to someone who, anyone who, can, who is responsible, who is accountable, and can understand different between right and wrong, so that the concept of the gospel makes sense to such a person. I hope that answers the question. I know there's more to it, but that's what I can answer on the surface with the information I have. All right. Uh, next one is from Anonymous. Is Christians... Are Christians standing um, outside abortion centers and yelling about how you're about to kill your baby and it's a sin? Okay. Oh, okay. I know what you mean. So, like, when people hold their placards and they're like, don't, you know, uh, commit abortion. It's a sin. This, this thing. To be honest, um, I have... I have there's a side to it that's commendable. The first thing you see is, okay, these people know what they believe and they're vocal. Remember what I said when I taught where you see someone about to kill someone and you decide to not care. Maybe someone's about to drop their baby from a three-story building. I'm like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's not my problem. And you walk away. That's very terrible. It means you don't value human life. And I feel when these people stand up doing those things, it tells something. I don't think they're doing it to get paid. I've not seen that happen. They actually have concern, genuine concern for the baby and the mother involved. First of all, to protect the baby from being killed and also to protect the conscience of the mother because they're like, you're making a drastic decision. You regret it eventually, most likely. Let's protect you from this. So in that way, it's commendable. They're also very vocal about what they believe. But the, on the question of is it effective, I can't say for sure. I can't say how many, maybe I'll have to do some research to know but I can't see how many abortions have been averted because of these very vocal uh, protesters, you know. I, I, I don't know the, the statistics. I'm not sure. When you talk about effectiveness, I don't know. But the act in itself, I think it's con commendable to a large extent. But I feel like people have a better chance of listening to you when you approach directly, calmly, with meekness and fear. The approach also matters. When you approach with meekness and fear, when you introduce yourself, I know it's not the best condition when someone is pregnant about to take a very big step and you're having those conversations. If you can go to them through maybe a family that supports what you believe, if you can go to them through, you know, just some way where they are more comfortable, that's a better approach than just shouting on top of them. All they want to do is escape from you in that moment and get it over with. So I don't, as, as regards effectiveness, I don't think it's very effective. But the heart behind it is good. Okay, so because of time, I'll probably just take two or three more questions. Oh, glory to God. Okay. Next question is, does the Quran pass the litmus test of investigating the authenticity of a document? Oh, very, very good question. Very, very good question. So sadly, sadly, 
the Quran doesn't. The Quran doesn't pass the bibliograph, uh, bibliography test. It doesn't stand the internal coherence test. Some parts of the external uh, coherence it does because it shares some common similarities to some of the historical events and people that are also recorded in the Hebrew Bible. In, you know, when you're talking about Moses, Mount Sinai, all those things, yeah, those are the places it corresponds. But it contradicts itself internally, and I wish I had the time to do that. Maybe next year we'll talk more about other religions, and we focus on, on that, maybe two or three religions, and we just break it down, or maybe just one. It depends. Um, but yeah, it doesn't pass the internal test. The bibliographical test, the Quran was written several, um, several centuries um, from when the events happened and Muhammad's inspiration was very secretly done. There was not much visibility or transparency. I mean, he got inspiration for by spending several weeks with an angel who just appeared to him in a cave and he had someone write all these things. Now, he had to memorize these things and then carry them because he couldn't write or read. So he had to memorize it and pass it down to a scribe to help write it. So that mode of translation can, is and is very suspect. So it, no, it doesn't pass the tests. It doesn't pass the test. Okay. Uh, next question. Saying artificial insemination by donor is ungodly. Following the reasons given, doesn't it also affect adoption and even surrogacy? Trying to understand this. So adoption and surrogacy are these are also gray areas adoption from what i know if your motivation behind adoption is the right reason you want to really have a child and grow the child and raise the child of right raise a child of your own there's nothing wrong with adoption it's not sinful at all when it comes to surrogacy if for medical conditions you can't have a child being um incubated or gestated in your womb and you want to outsource that i personally I personally don't have an issue with that. The only tricky part is, you know, there are some disadvantages, and this is where common sense comes into play. There are some disadvantages when there is a surrogate, you need to make sure that there are clear boundaries because there are always cases where a husband is attracted to a surrogate because subconsciously that woman is carrying his own child. Do you understand? But I know there are advanced technologies where it's both the woman's egg cell and the man's sperm but deposited in the woman's womb and grows so it's 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 their own child not the surrogate's child so in cases like that that's fine it's 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 i think it's okay and it's not sinful particularly um but there are just a lot of moral questions to ask it's not always black and white the context the motivation always matters right the same thing with insemination the process of doing the insemination also matters um, at the end of the day, if you're doing insemination because you don't want any man, for talking about ladies now, if you're doing artificial insemination because you don't want any man in your life, you want to just raise a child by yourself, somehow you have to be careful that you're not doing this out of selfishness in a bid to raise this child on your own. And in, in, you're bringing this child into a family where the structure is incomplete, but the child is going to grow to not know who their father is unless the donor is known. But you're, you're, you, this child is going to go to school, see a father, see a mother, and come back home, and it's only just a mother, you know, whatever reason. So those reasons for wanting to have a child are, are far more important because 
what kind of family are you bringing them into? You know, these are things that matter even more than the act of insemination itself. So that's what I would say. Uh, glory to God. Uh, okay. I think I'll just take three more questions and we're done. So should Christians sell alcohol or own a bar or a factory that manufactures alcohol, even though it's a profitable endeavor? I love this question. <laughs> this is a brilliant question. Um, should, <laughs> imagine, I mean, typically, are you, can you, is it okay to work with Hennessy, with Guinness, with breweries, basically? <sighs> I, I personally feel um, I personally feel, for example, if you're working with a company that does an FMCG company, fast-moving consumer goods company that produces things that are beneficial, like maybe toothpaste, you know, a PNG, a Unilever, you're making toothpaste, you're making soap, you know that it's beneficial, like in every way. The only way it's not beneficial is if the people are eating the soap or eating the toothpaste. Or drinking the disinfectant <laughs> but normally if being used well you know it's beneficial to the person's health you're bettering lives you're saving lives you're improving lives but if you're in a company where you know prevalently the use of your product like even if it's a cigarette or tobacco company the use of your product has damaged more lives than it has saved than it has improved lives you might want to rethink it this is my own personal thing. Yes, you're working and it's good to work. It's good that it's profitable. It will be profitable, but it appeals to a side of humanity that God doesn't promote. That's why when you look at the works of the flesh, I know this sounds traditional and conservative, but this is the truth. When you look at the works of the flesh, you would always, aside, there, there are three major things you will see. You will see anything that has to do with anger, bitterness, or wrath. Yes or yes? Anger, bitterness, or wrath. You see categories of sexual immorality. Then you see drunkenness, debauchery, um, reveling. You see that. These are the three major categories when it comes to the works of the flesh. So when you have this product that can influence all these three, can cause your anger to go up, your, your um, sexual drive and, and um, weaken your sexual accountability, and also... Um, fuel drunkenness. You, you see it in scriptures. First Corinthians says that no drunkard will inherit the kingdom of heaven. When you see that your product, the product you are selling, or you are a part of promoting and selling, because if you are a salesman, you say, "Oh, I'm not the one producing it. I'm just a salesman." But guess what? They are banking on you to to have it sold to many more people. You know. So at the end of the day, if it if it contributes to the works of the flesh more than it improves lives, you need to step back, step away. I would advise. There are jobs out there, and for your conscience' sake, some other Christian might be like, you know what, I'm fine, it's good, but if your conscience in any way has pricked you about this, don't even step into it. Don't even step. The very fact that your conscience is at stake and is being disturbed by this is a, is a pointer that you should step away from it. I hope that helps. Great, great. Um, this one, uh, pa -pa -pa. The Bible is heavily misogynistic. De David, sorry, Derek said because there is misogyny in the Bible doesn't mean God endorsed it, but I don't understand that. Yeah, so what Derek was trying to say with that, and I'm sure you're coming with an open heart, whoever asked this, this is anonymous, but 
just because in a record in a book people acted a certain way doesn't mean that particular person was for it so for example if the records of slavery was written by, down by historians documented and there were presidents and all of that and there was a lot of slavery going on by the people people were, were enslaving people maltreating people doesn't mean the person who recorded it or the person who was also in charge of the people was for it let me give another another clear example so let me say so imagine in a sports game right in a football team you've told the people that play safe play smart don't do things wrong you know you've given them the the playbook on how to score how to win and they are playing but every time there's someone who is in the team who is always tackling somebody wrongly or you know getting angry getting up you know upset you've coached them the way they should go but their natural propensity is to be much more aggressive um you, you're not in control of that directly do you understand so what derek was trying to explain and exactly what you see is that while there were records of people who were patriarchal who were there was toxic masculinity where women were shoved away put to the side doesn't mean that god endorsed it this was human human implemented it was not god implemented right god wants us to live equally with each other in love in peace you know you see signs where god honored women and 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 you know um really <coughs> favored women like with the daughters of Zef, the um the, the had right you saw how god was very kind to them and many many other um references but because we see it in the bible doesn't mean god advocates for it just like before because we see killings happen uh, we see some forms of sexual immorality what was happening in sodom and gomorrah doesn't mean god was in support of what happened do you get what i mean so this was human sinful human fallen human inspired all right so uh two more questions and i'll call it uh call it a day let me see good day i want to ask about exceptional cases of divorce in a case where a lady is beaten by a husband, does she have the right to sign up for a divorce? <laughs> this one is totally out of what we discussed, but it's I welcome it. It's a good question. In a case where a woman is being beaten, where she's being beaten, where she's being abused by a husband, can she opt for a divorce? Um, it's not encouraged to outrightly do that i mean of course if it's if you've weighed all your options you've tried everything you've you've separated which is one thing you should do first first separate both of them um let them be away from each other let them go through counseling and therapy and if they've proven to have a trajectory of understanding and love and they want if they're willing to get back together put them again under observation for a while if it if it repeats I mean then you have to start looking for you know alternatives but if it if it doesn't then yeah continue the marriage right um both of you work on it together with the help of the holy spirit if both of you are christians but in the case where the abuse continues the domestic uh, violence is incredible if you're separated and there's still nothing the separation is doing really because the separation doesn't only really protects you but separation in itself does not make a person better so it's what actions you do and take during the separation that could lead to the success or the failure of that marriage. But if nothing is working, 
yes, you can get you can get divorced. Um, I think it's it's safe to say you can get divorced. The question is, should you remarry? And that's another question. Should you remarry? And I'm not answering that right now. <laughs> Second, uh, the last question for today. This is by praise. How does one grieve a loved one who committed suicide? Is there eternal hope for the person? Wow, wow. That's a very deep question. All right, so, uh, yeah, sorry. Okay, there's one more question I want to answer because I wanted to address it um, under abortion. I, I didn't get to because of time, but I see it here, so I'm going to address it. So let me address this one first. How does one grieve for a loved one who committed suicide? Is there eternal hope for the person? So, like I mentioned, when it comes to suicide, it's a dicey matter. Um, but... At the end of the day, if there's anyone that's going to have eternal life, there's always going to be the condition of whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the condition. A believer has the hope of eternal life. A believer who believed in Jesus has a hope of eternal life. When you grieve over someone um, when they commit suicide, the first things first, while you grieve and while there's pain, you need to also remind yourself um, while you could have done better, maybe be more aware um, to also remind yourself that it's not your fault at the end of the day. You didn't cause the person's suicide. Um, so that you don't stay in guilt and condemnation. Um, well, yeah, how should you grieve a person? If the person was saved, I believe, I personally believe that God is merciful. God is merciful to forgive all sins. All sins. He's merciful. It's sad, it's terrible. But I believe you can grieve if, if you're sure the person was saved while they were on earth. You can believe that God is merciful. All right. Um, then this question, which I said I'll answer. What if it's medically life-threatening for the mother to keep the baby? This is the question that I really was looking for, looking forward to. Sorry, hold on. Yeah. Yeah, so this is, yeah, I was looking forward to this question. In a case where the mother having the baby is life-threatening, um, there's a lot of things to consider. And I've had this discussion with a couple of people, even during the discipleship program I had. We brainstormed about it because even I myself, I mean, I don't want to always assume like I know everything because I've not been in these situations. And situations vary from, from situations, Right. If you're in a hospital and the doctor tells you, if you have this baby, maybe a, maybe a scenario, you're talking to the husband and you're like, your wife wants to have this baby, but if we keep this baby, she's going to die. She's going to die. If she gives birth, we can save the child, the child will be fine, but she's going to die. So sir, you have to make a decision, your wife or your baby. And instinctively, the average person would be quick to jump and say, of course, my wife and I, we started this journey together. I'm not going to risk it. We can always have more children. This seems like the easiest cop-out, the easiest answer to go. But the question is, if you are a believing family, right? And I'm saying this specifically to a believing family that believes in Jesus, believes in the power of God, believes in the miraculous, why can't you have both? I think faith would rather have both. 
I want to have my wife, I want to have my child, my, my child and pray for it, pray concerning it. Um, it might seem irresponsible to the world, like you're an irresponsible man, you're risking your wife's life. From the lens of faith, from the perspective of faith, you trust God more than you trust the doctor's reports. You trust God more than you trust circumstances. And there have been cases where like this, both have been spared, both have been saved. Do you understand? There are cases where the man even said, no, go ahead, kill the baby. And in the process, the woman still died. So, I mean, even Bishop Oedipo's story, when his wife had a miscarriage, he said, no, I'm not hearing this. The doctor proclaimed the, the baby is gone, miscarriage. He said, no, I'm having my baby. And he went his way and she had a baby, you know, because of his faith. So as much as you believe in logic and medicine, believe also in the power of God. That's what I'll say. It's a complicated situation, but during that time, get all the help you can. Get proper, wise counseling from trusted people, trusted family members, maybe your parents, or from the pastor that you trust, and also from a perspective of another medical practitioner. But at the end of the day, your first response to any situation is to pray and have faith in God before anything else. So I hope these questions and the answers I've given help you help you to understand this. I hope that you've been blessed by, by it. Um, so yeah, um, thank you. Thank you all so much for your questions. You can always send questions to vivify365 at gmail.com. I'll say it again, vivify365 at gmail.com. Um, I promise you that your questions come in privately. Um, they're not, we don't have a whole team watching it. So you need, you can know that I would have access to it and our communications director as well. So please feel free to send in the questions you have. If you want to meet me personally, you also can. I'm a text away. If you want to reach any of our leaders, please do so as well. All right. But thank you so much for participating. Thank you for being a part of this. Please promise me one thing that you're going to share this video when it's out to your friend, your family who needs to hear these things. And you yourself will re-listen to things that have been taught. All right. At the end of the day, you will grow in maturity. You grow in faith, you grow from strength to strength and boldness to boldness all the days of your life. And when the Lord comes back, he meets you doing his work to whoever you see, wherever, walking in wisdom to them who are without. Thank you so much for joining us. This concludes the Audacity Conference 2022, Ray in the Gray. So thank you all for sticking around, sticking so far till the end. I love you all with all of my heart. I love you like crazy. Thank you so much for being a part of this and I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Remember, we have Bible studies every Sunday. I am super confident that this has been a blessing to you. Keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of God for your life. Stick around for more. God bless you. I love you.